Would you please open your Bibles to Philippians chapter 4. Philippians chapter 4. It's a great joy to be with you. And we are coming towards the end of the book of Philippians. And I'm trying to go as slow as I can. It always becomes this love affair with every single book we go through. And it always becomes the favorite one. Yeah. Those who are visiting, be welcome. Would you please stand and let's read, starting verse 4. Chapter 4, starting verse 4 through verse 9. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. Let your gentleness be known to everyone. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything. But instead, in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all, all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. In addition, brothers, whatever is true, Whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is holy, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellency, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice, do these things, and the God of peace will be with you. You may be seated. Father, we pray once again, not because it's a tradition, not because it's a custom, it's because it's a need. We pray because we need You. I need You. This lovely congregation needs You. So help us. Help me to be faithful. Help me to be clear. I pray you to sustain me, sustain my heart, my mind, my body, sustain the church, sustain the ears and the hearts of this congregation. Help us to be faithful to you. Help us to worship you through the preaching, through the listening. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of all our hearts be pleasing to you our God and our rock, our salvation. Father, we pray for those who are not here, those who are ill, those who are out of town. Pray to be drawing them to Christ today. Heal those who are sick. Bring all of us as a church closer and closer to the cross. And help us Help us to never, never lose the awe of Your grace in our lives. Thank You for saving us. As Matt prayed, we say, Amen. Save those who are not saved. Save the little ones, the younger ones, the older ones. Lord, we cannot save anybody, but You can. So we trust in You. We pray for the churches in Salem. Pray for Your flock. We pray that You'd be feeding Your sheep today. Make them strong and healthy in You, Lord. Help Your under-shepherds to be faithful. 
caring, loving, and preach the Word in season and out of season. We give you all the thanks and all the glory in Jesus' glorious name. Amen. Amen. This letter is a letter to the Philippians. And the name Philippians is because you can see in chapter 1, verse 1, Paul says, To the saints, to the holy ones who are in Christ Jesus and in Philippi. Philippi was a city in Macedonia, Europe. That's the first place in Europe where the gospel starts to advance. But what's fascinating about Philippi is how precious this city was in the Roman Empire. The city of Philippi was the theater of one of the major battles in Roman history. The Battle of Philippi. And that's when Philippi became a Roman colony. It took all the benefits of Rome. So Philippi was the theater of this glorious battle according to the Roman history and Roman Empire. And Paul is writing to this church. And as we come to chapter 4, he's letting them know that there is another theater where there is another battle. And that's not necessarily geographically Philippi, but in the minds, in the minds of the church, the church members in Philippi. The mind, it is certainly one of the most important battlefields where there is a constant war. We often think about the mind as just the brain. We think about the mind as if it was the brain. So we think just in a gray mass with a bunch of cells. But actually, biblically speaking, the mind is inseparable from the heart and from the soul. The mind is inseparable from the, from the heart and the soul. That's why sometimes you're reading an English translation and, and you see it says mind, but then you go and you check the word, and that word oftentimes is translated as soul or as heart. And why? It's because of this inseparable connection between the mind, the heart, and the soul, the inner person. So how we think how we analyze, how we judge, how we interpret things, affect our affections. And our affections affect our will, our decisions. Jonathan Edwards is one of the champions in, in, in propagating this understanding. Our strong inclinations of the soul that are manifested in thinking, feeling, and acting. And now we know that feeling... Thinking and acting. Fronel. The thinking, the feeling, the acting. They're all connected. That's why the heart and the mind are always walking hand in hand. Jesus, for example, He talks about evil thoughts coming out of where? The heart. Huh. 
I thought they would come out of the mind, thoughts. But there is this connection. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus connects adultery with lustful thoughts. Why? Because it goes back to the mind. Remember James, that's what James says. The, the birthing of sin. The thinking leading to action. Or Genesis chapter 6, verse 5. As the Lord is about to bring a new creation with the devastation of in the days of Noah. He says, the Lord saw that the weakness, the sinfulness of man was great in the earth. And every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. There is this inseparable connection of the inner man, the thinking, the feeling, the acting. And Satan loves to attack the mind, the thinking. In the Garden of Eden, what is his major weapon towards Eve and Adam? To make they, they, they think. Question God's goodness. And that's why the Bible is so emphatic about protecting our minds. Because he knows that we know that the adversary, Satan, is the lead psychologist. He's the lead psychiatrist. He's the lead mind researcher. There is nobody who knows more. There is no fallen being that knows more about the mind than Satan. He has been studying the human mind for a long time. And that's his major battlefield. And that's why the Bible emphasizes over and over again the dangers of being bombarded with Satan's missiles, his flaming darts in our minds. So, for example, we go into the Old Testament. You see the importance of the people of God taking care Guarding the thoughts, the minds. Isaiah 55, 7. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous men his thoughts. Not only his ways, not only his doing, but his thoughts. Romans 12, 2. As Paul is bringing the application of all the doctrine that he taught earlier, he tells us as living sacrifices, we need to renew our minds. Or in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, talks about how Satan has blinded the minds of the unbelievers from seeing the light of the gospel. An amazing connection between blinding the, the mind and the incapability, the inability of seeing the gospel, understanding. More. Second Corinthians chapter 10. Take every thought captive. Military language. Take every, not some thoughts, take every thought captive to obey Christ. Second Corinthians chapter 11. That's a, the letter of the mind. Talks so much about thoughts and mind. Paul says, but I'm afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve by his cunning, your thoughts, your mind, will be led astray from a sincere and pure devotion to Christ. 
Colossians chapter 3, since you have been raised with Christ, set your minds where Christ is. Or Peter, 1 Peter 1.13, Therefore, prepare your minds for action. So as you can see, and that's just a very brief sample of Scriptures related to the Christian's duty in protecting, preserving, keeping his mind. So as you can see, there is absolutely no neutrality when it comes to the mind. There is no neutrality when it comes to the mind. There is no such thing as emptying your mind. Let us spend some time emptying our minds. That's Eastern religion. The emptying of your mind. Christians have nothing to do with emptying the mind. It's all about filling your mind. And the beauty of the Gospel, the beauty and the power of the Gospel is that in Christ Jesus we receive a new mind. Remember what Paul says? But you have the mind of Christ. In Jesus we have a new mind. But this new mind, what's so amazing is that we are supposed to guard, to protect, to wash this new mind in Christ that we have. But the other beautiful thing is not that just we have a new mind that we have to wash, protect, feed. Is that the Gospel empowers us to do that. Everything that God commands from us, He empowers us to do under the new covenant. So this text here in Philippians chapter 4 verse 8 is for all Christians. Christ is empowering us to do that. So as Paul is bringing about his final exhortations, as we are coming towards the end of Philippians, and Paul is bringing his final exhortations, he's teaching the church how to stand firm in the Lord. Now he's telling them that they need to fortify their minds. Their minds must be fortified. An army, think about an army. And if those soldiers, their minds are weak, if their minds are wandering, that's a lost army. And Paul knows that. That's why he's requiring the mind, be, be ready, prepare your minds. It's amazing that when you come to Ephesians chapter 6, and Paul is telling us to put on the full armor of God. When it comes to our head, do you remember what he commands us to put on? The helmet of salvation. The helmet of salvation. The great glory of salvation in our lives. The truth of salvation. That's what must be protecting our minds. So, Dennis Johnson, he says, Paul knows that the thoughts that occupy our minds and the images that capture our imagination shape our characters and find expression in our behavior. As Israel's ancient sage, the wise man, observed, keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flow the springs of life. Proverbs 4.23 So he says, Jesus confirmed that that the heart's secret thoughts are the fountain from which our outward actions flow. Mark chapter 7. 
So Paul speaks first of letting our minds dwell on qualities that reflect the perfections of our Creator. That's verse 8. And then he calls us to practice the pattern that we have heard in the Gospel and seeing those who live Christ-focused lives. That's verse 9. So here you have how the text is structured. Verses 8 and 9. So first, Paul deals with how the church must be very careful with their thinking. All the church members, all the Christians must be very careful with their thinking. And then he moves to tell how the thinking must affect our actions. So today we are going to be looking at verse 8. The church is careful thinking. And Paul is developing from chapter 4, verse 1, how the church is to be Strong in the Lord and stand firm. So, verse 8. Look at that. The ESV says, finally, brothers. Finally. And that's when people always make fun of Paul and preachers. They say, oh, do you see, once again, Paul has a finally here. And just like any other preacher, he goes on to speak for another hour. But that's mis- misunderstanding the word here. And I don't think finally is a good translation. I think in addition is a better translation. And you can see that in chapter 3, verse 1, where Paul used the same Greek word. And he's not bringing the the letter to a conclusion. He's actually adding something to his earlier thoughts. And that's what Paul is doing here. So he says, in addition, brothers. He loves to call the Philippians brothers. My brothers, my sisters. And now we know that whatever Paul is telling in the following verses, it's for the whole church. Okay? It's for the whole church. It's not for a specific group. It's for all Christians. All those who have been born of God. All those who are adopted in Christ Jesus. All those who have the Holy Spirit within them. Those are the brothers and sisters. And Paul is addressing all of them. And how they must have their minds occupied. It says, in addition, brothers, here's what must occupy your mind. First of all, whatever is true. Whatever is true. The word true, Alephaz, is the opposite of something that's concealed. It's being revealed. It's not hidden. Veracity. The idea of something stable that you can trust. It's trustworthy. And we know from the Scriptures that God is the source of all truth. There is nothing outside God that cannot come under because He is the interpreter of all truth. God is the source, the standard, the embodiment of all truth. So Paul says, he talks about the Thessalonians, how they forsook their idols to serve the living and the true God. And then we know that God's Word is true. Your Word is true, Jesus says. Or as the psalmist says, the sum of your words is true. Jesus is the the embodiment of all truth. I am the truth, He said. John says that He was full of grace and truth. And the Holy Spirit. So you have the three persons of the Trinity. They're all described as the source of all truth. The Holy Spirit is the Spirit of truth. And we live in a time, our society is 
permeated of people who believe that they have their own truth. Right? Oh, that's your truth. I have my truth. And let's all burn in hell. So sometimes instead of saying, that's your truth, that's my truth, they say, that's your story, and then that person has her, his story. Right? As if God was subject to sinful man's mentality and experience in order to have truth being defined. No. When Paul commands the church to think about things that are true, he has the truth of God. Everything else in our lives must come under the revelation of God. So it doesn't matter if you're a scientist, if you're a math teacher, if you are a mother with kids, everything. Everything must come under God's standard of truth. Truth is the foundation for all other things. Isn't that amazing? He has the list. The first thing, truth. And I agree with Timothy Whitmer. He says, truth is the most important vista in our new way of thinking. Because everything else flows from it. Truth is the cornerstone to which every other stone must be oriented in order for the building to rise with integrity. Get this one wrong and there will be nothing but trouble the rest of the way. And sadly, we baptize our minds, we immerse our minds daily with a bunch of things that are not true. That's very sad. We, we force ourselves in a bunch of things that are not true. We must stop indulging in our minds with worldly, worldly things. There was a study with people who is always enslaved by worry. They study, they study revealed that 92% of all the people worrying never took place. It was never real. You see, that's how Satan loves you too. Start believing lies, things that are true, reliable, trustworthy. So we as, as a church, as Christians, we must fill our minds with the truth of God. Truth about God. We, we, we must be, that's what we are singing here, behold our God. Truth about God. He is the sovereign one. He's in charge. So we must immerse ourselves with truth about who God is. But also, truth about us. Amen? Truth about us. Truth about us outside Christ and truth about us in Christ. The truth that apart from Christ, we are. Without Christ, we are miserable, hell-bound, weak, wretched people. But in Christ, we are in the Beloved. We are loved. We are taken care. We are sons and daughters. We can call Him Abba. So we need to know this truth. We need to immerse our minds on this truth. And we need to put to death all self-denial. Self-denial. Trying to deny the truth of God, the reality of God. No, put to death that. Then as Johnson, he says, quoting him once again, he says, God's utterly trustworthy and accurate portrayal of reality must control believers' minds 
and consequently our behavior. Because the truth in Jesus means that we have shed the control of deceitful desires, our legacy from the original Adam, and have been clothed with the righteousness and holiness characterized by truth, Ephesians 4, 20-24. Our conduct must follow suit. Having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor. Ephesians 4.25 We must immerse ourselves, feed our minds, clothe our thoughts with what is true. Amen? Feed yourself with truth and you are going to become someone who is trustworthy. Reliable. Oh, feed yourself with falsehood, with lies. And what happens? And that's why it's so vital, the local church, a healthy local church. We come together and what happens? We are getting what is true. We are immersed, baptized, with the Word of God, in the singing, in the prayer, in the preaching. It's the truth, reality. God is reigning. His kingdom is moving forward. The church is conquering the gates of hell through suffering, through death. Amen? Yeah. That's why church is so vital, so important. Not only what is true, but also whatever is honorable. I didn't change it there. Let me go back here. Yes. Whatever is honorable. That's a beautiful word. It's hard. Semnos. Uh, Gerald Hawthorne, he says, the word semnos has such a richness about it that's impossible to equate with any one English word. And that's why when you get different translations, you have different translations for this word here. It could mean honorable, worthy, venerable, holy, above reproach. He says the basic idea is clear. It refers to lofty things, majestic things, things that lift the mind from the cheap and the tawdry to that which is noble and good and of moral worth. So the Lord is commanding all of us to wash our minds, to clothe our minds with things that are honorable, things that are majestic full of dignity, respect, a sense of awe. That's the opposite of our culture. And sadly, that's the opposite of the Christian culture in America. It's all about being juvenile. It's all about being casual. Where is the dignity, the majesty, the reverence, the awe? Amen? That's what Paul is calling us here. And the church must be a place dignified. And people come, they see it's different here. There is a majestic sense here. The movies you watch, the people you follow in your social media, the music you listen to, the things and people you place before your eyes, inside your ears, are they full of reverence, majesty, lifting up your minds to something that's Majestic. Dwell. Dwell on what is honorable and you will become more and more honorable. Feed your mind with things that are majestic, dignified, 
and you will become more and more dignified. And that's a command. Paul commands Christians to be dignified. Not only that, but just. We need to fill our minds with things that are just or right. In addition, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, dikaios, that means in conformity to God's standards and thus worthy of His approval. We must be bombarding our minds with things that are in accordance, matching God's standards. Not my standard, not the world's standard, but God's standards of righteousness, holiness. Amen? Let's move to the next one. Whatever is holy, things that are full of purity. The word hagnos, connect to moral purity, free from pollution of sin. And you can see the opposite of this word in Ephesians chapter 5. Paul says, but sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be hinted, named among you as is proper among the saints. Let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place, but instead let there be thanksgiving. Filling our minds with these things. In 1 John 3.3, John says, And if any, everyone, everyone who thus hopes in Christ, purifies himself as he is pure. Now think about the opposite of holiness, the opposite of purity. And that's, I would say, the great amount of movies, entertainment in our days is full of things that are the opposite of true, honorable, just, and holy. Sadly, we fill our minds with this garbage. Paul says, he tells Timothy, Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from what is dishonorable, he will be a vessel for honorable use. Look at that, the same Greek word, set apart as holy, useful to the master of the house, ready for every good work. Fill your minds. Close your minds. Dress your minds. Feed your minds with holy things. And do you know what happens? The Lord will use you as a holy vessel in His holy house. To show His holiness. Paul also says, fifth, whatever is lovely. That's a beautiful word. You see, some people love the truth part, but they hate the love part. Oh yes, truth. Oh, how about the lovely? And the same with the opposite. Some people love the lovely, but not the truth. And we are supposed to grow in all these graces. We cannot pick and choose all of them. Whatever is lovely. Beautiful word. Pros, phileo. Pros, phileo. Pros, moving forward. And phileo, love. So, people were things that 
are inclined towards love or things and people that incline you, draw you towards lovely things. One scholar says the Christian's mind is to be set on things that are that, that elicit from others not bitterness and hostility, but admiration and affection. Lovely things, lovely people is just like a sweet aroma, right? We always want to be around lovely people. People full of love, people who draw us to love Christ more, to love others more. Our minds must be nailed, engraved to things that are worthy of the affections, the love of Christ. You see, fill your minds with all that's lovely, full of love, and you will become more and more lovely. Six, commendable. In addition, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, admirable, the NIV says. Fascinating Greek word. Literally means what is good, well, good, report, good news. It's things that you say to people that build them, build them up. Things that are pleasing to the ears of those who hear. That's similar to what Paul says in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 29. Let no, no filthy talk come out of your mouths. And I add here, I add here, let no filthy talk come out of your phones, your emails, your text messages, your social media postings. But only such as is good for building up, as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. Huh. That's a wonderful test. Before you're watching, listening, posting something, is that in accordance to Philippians 4.8 and Ephesians 4.29? Is that going to build up? Is that good for the ears of Christ? I'm in Christ. Christ is in me. When I hear these things, is that pleasing in His ears? Seven. Anything that is excellent. Excellency. Beautiful word, arete. It's the quality of moral excellency. Outstanding goodness and virtues. This word is often used in relation to God's attributes and God's actions. It's often used in relation to God, His attributes and His actions, how they're excellent. Good. Peter tells us, that's our calling. Sometimes Christians wonder what's their calling. Here is the calling that we all have. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for His own possession that, in order that, you may proclaim, and here's the same word, the excellencies of Him who called you out of darkness into His marvelous light. First Peter 2.9 That's our calling. We must fill our minds with what is excellent in order to fulfill our calling of proclaim His excellencies. Amen? We must dwell on things, people, that fill our minds with the excellencies of God. 
So while, while you're watching, the people you're following, the music you're listening to, are they full of excellencies that cause you to behold and think about the excellency of Christ Jesus? And last, number eight, anything worthy of praise. And it's kind of inseparable, right? If it's excellent, if something is excellent in the sight of the Lord, it's going to be necessarily what? Worthy of praise. Amen? Anything that's excellent in the sight, in the ears of the Lord, will be what? Praiseworthy. Yes. And I counted eight, eight graces or attributes that Paul is calling us to think through. The number eight reminds us of a new creation. That's the eighth day. According to the old covenant, they had to be circumcised on the eighth day. It was a picture of a new creation. And here is we as new creation, new creatures with a new mind. These are the things that we need to be thinking about. And the thinking here, here comes the exhortation. Here's the main verb of verse 8. In addition, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellency, if there is anything worthy of praise, think, think about these things. That's the main verb here. Logizomai. Logizomai. And you can see right there from where we get logic, logarithm, and things that require thinking, thinking deeply about something, calculating. It's not just a, a simple thought. No, you're thinking, you're, you are feeding your mind, you're digesting. You're calculating. Some of you here have done your taxes and suddenly you realize they're owing a lot of money. What do you do? We need to do this. We need to do this thing again. We need to count all these things again. And you're calculating there and you're very precise. Amen? A lot of attention. A lot of focus. That's what the word here implies. To give careful thought to a matter. Consider, ponder. Let one mind dwell. That's beautiful. Dwelling. The mind must dwell, tabernacle on these things. You're not going, you're not going anywhere now. You're going to stay right here. Let's think about these things. Also, the verb is in the present tense and the imperative mood. And he might say, who cares? We all should care. The present tense means that's always. We've got to keep doing that. And the imperative mood tells us that's not an option. That's not just a counsel or, hey, here, just a thought for you. It's up to you if you want to do that or not. No, it's in the imperative. It's a command. God's commanding us. And the verb is in the second person plural. Referring to all the members of the church. So, it's for all. All. All the members. doesn't matter if you're young, old, men, women, leader, not leader, mature, immature Christians. Everyone is supposed to be 
thinking about these things. And, and, and it's important for us to, to realize that the Christian life is not a life of reaction. You're, you're always reacting to something. The Christian life is a life of discipline, lifestyle, habits. And the same with thinking about these things. It's a pattern of life. It's a lifestyle. We are to continually dwell on these things. There is no quick fix. No quick holiness. You, you, you should always be suspicious of the, those books. They always, here's the key, the secret for this. Because it's always a lifestyle. Amen? The, the Christian life is a life of constant obedience, holiness, sanctification. Every morning, every night, every hour of the day, when you open your eyes in the morning, when you close your eyes at night, what are you dwelling upon? What are your thoughts, your mind thinking about? That's very important. So many Christians, they like to relax by doing what? Zoning out on TV, with the TV. So you turn on the TV and you spend hours. And I don't know about you, maybe you have a different channel, but most of the channels I know is just garbage. There's just a bunch of garbage in. And remember, there's no neutrality. It's not like your mind is just simply orchestrating and, and dividing and separating things. You're just, just eating all that garbage. Social media, hours. Oh, I'm so tired. And you spend hours checking other people's business. Things that have nothing to do with whatever is pure and holy and lovely. Then you don't understand why your life is the way it is. No growth. No change. Amen? That's the Christian life. It must be a life style. Constantly thinking. Bringing to mind. And we must remember that the Lordship of Jesus. Sometimes we think about salvation. We make fun of, of those people who think about salvation as a ticket to heaven. And now I can live just like Satan on earth. But a lot of times we live just like that. We think that the Lord has no Lordship over our minds. As if we can think and we can ponder about whatever we want. As if Christ Jesus has no Lordship and no dominion over our minds. And that's wrong, brothers and sisters. He has total control, total dominion over our minds. He must have. And you also must see this command here as very gracious and loving. Remember, every command of God is gracious and loving towards us. Man, for, for, when He commands us to think about these things, that's loving of Him. Not like He wants to destroy your life and make you miserable. No, He wants you to prosper. He wants you to be healthy. And that's why He gives these commands. So, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is holy, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is anything excellent, worth of praise, ponder, dwell, dwell on these things, calculate, think deeply about these things. 
And here is the Lord in His grace and in His sovereignty giving us parameters. It's parameters, boundaries for our lives. The Lord Jesus is giving you parameters, boundaries to orchestrate your life so you can grow into His likeness. When you grab a movie to watch, when you turn on the TV, the radio, the internet, you must be thinking, how is this connected to Philippians 4.8? How is this connected to the boundaries that the Lord gave me in Philippians 4.8? And you see, there is no exceptions here. I have often heard some Christians say, you know what? Vulgarity, vulgar language doesn't affect me. So I'm, I'm fine watching these movies. Oh, sex scenes, movies with sex, that, that's okay. That doesn't affect me. As, as if there's exceptions for Christians. Well, I can watch that. That's okay with me. Oh, you're holier than Christ. You know more about holiness than Jesus. Good for you. I have heard people saying that. You see, the question is not that. The question is, how is that connected to the parameters, the boundaries that Christ has given me for a better life? Oh, Guga, but then, how about my social life? If I apply this, I don't have a social life. My friends. Good. Maybe we either need to change friends... You need better friends, or you need to show Christ your friends. Amen? And there is also, as you think about this, it's, 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 here's in the positive. You have the positive commands of Christ. But we can and we should invert that, and then we see that there is, actually, it's a prohibition. If Christ is commanding us to do that, He's prohibiting us of doing other things. Things that are the opposite of what He's commanding. Amen? So we are prohibited to feed our minds with, and dwell on sinful preoccupation with evil things. You are in sin if you are feeding your minds with sinful preoccupation, with evil things. And that's a beautiful thing. You should praise the Lord, repent. We are prohibited of entertaining mental preoccupation with all evil. Entertaining. We know about evil. Amen? We know about evil. We are surrounded by evil. But we are prohibited of entertaining our minds, feeding our minds. Amen? That's, that's why... The Lord is calling us here to stop feeding our minds, seeking things, looking for things that will not match Philippians 4, 8. Some Christians are always, always trying to give others through email, social media, text message, some juicy news about evil. Evil in the government, evil in the church, evil in the schools, evil in society, evil, evil, evil everywhere. They just give you evil. Like, no, stop! Stop feeding me with so much evil. 
Amen? Give me something to, to make my mind dwell on what is good, what is lovely, what is holy, what is righteous. And we are supposed to help each other with that. We used to have a member in this church. It's no longer here. But I'm not kidding. Every time I finish a sermon, that member would come towards me with news. Articles that that person printed. The evils of vaccination. The evils of child trafficking. The evils of this. And I don't know how, but... I was preaching through Mark and we were speaking about the glory of the cross. And she would come to me and say, Oh, your sermon made me think about this. And would give me the article. And I started questioning myself. Like, Lord, that might mess up. But since I didn't see other people saying the same thing, I realized that no, that person is messed up. But always, evil, evil, evil. Stop, stop. Bring me something to make my mind dwell on what is good, lovely. We are surrounded by evil. You don't need to be a hermit. You don't need to be a monk. You don't need to be an Amish. Just live and you know that there is a bunch of evil around us, evil happening. But then we are called to protect our minds, to not be feeding ourselves, calculating, thinking. Meditating upon all that's evil. Paul says, be innocent. Be innocent. Do not be guilty. Be innocent of what is evil. So many Christians, anxious, sinfully preoccupied with all the evil around us because they feed their minds with all the the evil that's taking place. And Paul Inspired by the Holy Spirit, He's giving us the perfect lenses, the perfect glasses to, to, all right, here, that's what I need to see. That's what I need to look for. That's what I need to behold. Whatever is lovely, whatever is true, whatever is just, praiseworthy. So, if it doesn't pass, the test of Philippians 4, eight. Turn off your computer. Put the movie away. Don't go where you're going. Obey the Lord. If whatever you are about to read, watch, attend, doesn't match the standards of Philippians 4.8, and you do anyway, you are purposefully eating garbage and washing your mind with Satan's waters. See, some Christians think that the Christian life is how close I can get to the lake of fire without getting burned. How close can I get to the precipice and not fall there? That's how some Christians live their Christian life. It's always, always, how close they can get to the sinful thing. True Christianity is not marked by how close we can get to the lake of fire. It's not about how much crude language, how much inappropriate content, how much sexual sin, how much violence, how much this, how much that, how much adultery. 
is in that movie, is in that thing that I can watch. No, 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 no. If we are asking these questions, we are asking the wrong questions. The Christian life is the opposite. It's how close can I come to Christ? How holy can I become in this life to resemble my Savior? So, the question we should be asking is not how much crude language, inappropriate things this song, this movie, this book has, but how is this going to empower me to have my mind dwelling in whatever is true, whatever is holy, whatever is noble, majestic, lovely? Jesus bought us, Paul tells in Timothy, that He gave Himself for us in order to purify for Himself a people for His own possession, a people who are not eager to see how close they can get to the lake of fire without getting burned, but eager and zealous for good and holy works. That's how our Christian lives must be marked. Amen? How is that what I'm doing now? Matching. How am I surrounded by the boundaries of Philippians 4.8? Amen? And this local church, as we think about this church, Paul is talking to a church, and we must apply this to our church. The power of this local church is inseparable from our pursuit of holiness and godliness. The power of this local church is inseparable from the mind of this church. And our mind is composed of all the different minds we have here forming this body. So we all have the responsibility and the duty to help one another, to dwell on these things, in order that this church might bright shine in this dark world. And just to finish here, here's a true finally. As I was thinking about all that Paul was commanding the church to think, meditate, Psalm 19 came to my mind. And it's beautiful because in Psalm 19, the psalmist first talks about the general revelation, creation, the glory of God in the general revelation. And then he moves to the covenantal revelation, the special revelation. That's the Scriptures. And how he describes the Scriptures, the Torah, the instruction of the Lord, is filled, filled with words that match exactly what Paul is telling us to think about. The Torah, the instruction of the Lord is perfect. It revives the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure. You can trust. Making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right. They're just. Rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is holy. Enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean. Enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired than gold, even much fine gold. Sweeter also than honey and drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is your servant warned. In keeping them there is great reward. 
And that's why every time you come to church, every time we assemble together on Lord's Day, on Wednesday, have different meetings, we are always doing what? Bring the Word of God. Bring the Word of God. Washing ourselves with the Word of God. But, it's not only here. You've got to do that at home. Your lifestyle. So when we come back together, it's flowing from your life. And of course, as you think about all that's true, noble, majestic, holy, pure, worthy of praises, there is one person who embodies all that. And that's the Lord Jesus Christ. And we must help each other. Look to Jesus. Think about Jesus. Think about Christ. The glories of Christ. We must help one another to do that. Amen? Here and out of here. Father, we thank You for Your Word that confronts us that challenges us. And that's so beautiful. It rejoices the heart. It is sweeter than honey. Lord, we want to have our minds protected by Your boundaries, by Your Word. Because we want to be like our Savior. That's why You saved us. To conform us to the image of Christ. So help us as a church. Help us to look upon Jesus, to behold Christ. Help us. Some, some, some members in this church, they need to get more ruthless in this battle. And put the phone away. Put the computer away. Put the movies away. So help us. Help us. We want to be a church that shows forth Christ, the holiness of our God. So we ask You to forgive us. Forgive us for not thinking about these things as we should. And we know that there is forgiveness in Christ. And there is power to change. So help us, Lord. Help us to think, to meditate upon, to calculate, to dwell on all, all that's truthful, all that's noble, majestic, holy, righteous, lovely, commendable, excellent, and worthy of praises. Thank You for changing our minds and giving us minds that are able to do that, Lord. In Jesus' name, Amen. Amen.